0: Hey guys, welcome to the Safe Space Podcast. You're with your host Emma and Hester. Today we are with an absolute queer icon from Queer Ultimatum. If anyone's seen it, it was great on Netflix. Um, Tiff is in the building. Hello. Hello. Hello
1: Tiff. Hello, Hester. Hello, Emma. How are you? We're very, very excited. You we like it? We're don't very we? excited <laughs> because I was a big fan of the show and actually watched it three times over which is excessive. Three times. I think I that's been more than me. That's, that's <laughs> quite a lot. That's quite. I mean, harder to, to watch lines for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we're very excited to talk today. Mhm. Um, got some great
0: topics we're going to chat about, isn't yes, it? Yes,
1: we're we've we're we're going to talk about some great topics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. We kick it off then?
2: I was going to ask what what was uh your favorite parts oh. of the show? Like what did you I mean not the drama, but like what did you like about it?
1: I I think, I think we were saying, weren't we, before this, that there was such like a thirst mm. for a queer reality, reality. TV show that Ooh. I did it in my heart that I did not need know yeah. that I had. So I think when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, and it was yeah. so nice to watch all these dynamics play out like they do in normal reality TV, even like as crazy as they it gets, you know. Yeah. Um but like just being represented in that way, but like also like how like we're not perfect either, you know, like queer people aren't perfect either. And we have the same problems um, in our relationships. So it was, yeah, Mm -hmm. it was really, it must've had an impact on me because I kept watching it over and over again. (laughs) I loved the whole concept. The whole concept in general is
2: just brilliant.
0: I was like, I was imagining myself on it and what I would do.
2: I don't think you'd survive. I don't think (laughs) i it's a little bizarre. People were like, I could never do that. I could never do that. And then uh, when we get on the show, like I thought, I was like, "Okay, we'll be fine." You know, like uh, you know, everyone, every couple kind of has their talks before they actually get, you know, start the cameras start rolling. Before, because we're split up, you know, so we can't physically see each other, talk to each other, except for in those like fall cast scenes that you see. So when you're with your original partner and you're thinking like, "Well, everything's gonna be fine," when the cameras start rolling, like everything imaginable changes everything that you thought was going to happen or you know it just doesn't and so you can never come in thinking that you have a game plan especially if you've never been on a reality tv show and i think that's why like people who haven't every ordinary everyday people are like the primary candidates for it right because they have no idea how a vast production of like three hundred people work over a course of like eight weeks. Like they have no idea the logistics of that and understanding it. And it, you know, I I can say like I watch you know ourselves on there and I'm like I I could never do that, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you did it. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was also like really shocked about how genuine everybody came across in the show. Like I know it's heavily ed- edited, but. Of course. It felt so much more genuine than most other reality TV shows. And I think you could tell people were being pushed to their emotional limits Mm -hmm. in the show. So maybe that's it.
2: I think one of the coolest things is... um, I noticed that too. I I think they tried to get a lot of like-minded people together. And I think to an extent, like everyone kind of had this emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. Um, And I think that's what all kind of like bonded with each other. I definitely... I'm not... I can't say for a fact, but I would imagine the casting process, they were trying to get people that could, you know, like openly talk about their feelings for the most part. Um, But I remember when we were filming, like production was like, oh, wow. Like all the field producers and everything, they're like, you know, the amount of openness that you all have is incomparable to other reality TV dating shows that we've done. Like, this is a night and day difference. Like, people just can't open up. And I don't know whether that's more of, like, masculine energy versus feminine energy. I'm not sure, but I just found that fascinating because I don't know... I didn't know what to compare it to. Why did you go on the show? So if I were to say I was forced upon the TV show or, or you know, I didn't ask to go on the TV show, um, that is 100% false. Uh, I knew that... I was going to be on TV. I knew that it was going to be a big show of that. Um, I definitely knew it was going to be on the top 10. I know that because the production company itself that reached out to us, um, they're the producers of Love is Blind and Married at First Sight. And at that point, back in 2021, when they reached out to us, uh, we had a casting producer reach out to Mildred and I, um, you know, Love is Blind one already was out. So, I mean, it was a big, I mean, that hit boom, that like rocked the entire world, uh, you know, in the Netflix world. So I knew it was going to be a big show. But I think, you know, I think it was a blend of of a couple things, right? I think it was the blend of like, am I genuinely having an authentic experience in my relationship that lined up to this sort of, that fits the bill for what the show is looking for? Yeah. And two, I saw it as a way to be like, all right, what else have I seen out there? The the real L word. Um, at that point, the TV show Tampa Bays wasn't even out. I don't, I don't think there was a lot of, you know, queer or or AFAB TV shows out there, um, reality that depicted anything. So I, I just found it to be a very, very humbling experience to know I could be a part of something way larger than me or my drama. And I think a lot of people felt like that too. They just, you know, wanted to be seen whatever story line they had, because everyone had different stories coming in. I just feel like, um, you know, those stories resonates with so many different people. And like you said, we're we're not supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to uh, line up to what Everyone wants us to be, you know, we had a lot of like haters being like, Oh, you represented uh, queer represent- representation so wrong. And how dare you guys. But honestly, it's very, very relatable to a lot of queer couples out there. And I don't think we should be painted in this perfect picture. So anyway, to answer your question, I, I saw it as an amazing opportunity to, um, also while having a genuine story and a genuine, authentic, real experience that fit the bill, it was also an opportunity um, to use my platform to be seen by a lot of people um, that I can be that person where someone on the TV can look at it and be like, I feel seen. And I and I felt like that was way bigger than me. And I felt like a lot of cast members felt that way too.
1: Yeah, I think you're right though as well that um, we can't be expected to represent ourselves as perfect just mm-hmm. because we're a minority group. And like maybe that allowed us to be more relatable to straight audiences that we Mm -hmm. have, Mm -hmm. like uh, inconsistencies and and, um, problems of our own, that that's that's more relatable in my mind. Complexities of being a human as well. like The relationships
0: are not just, you know, one way, not binary, are they? They're so fluid. And I think Queer Mm -hmm. Ultimatum really showed that.
2: Mm -hmm. I think they did too. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy between what Netflix did, what they didn't do. you know, what they could have done better. I know that as far as my experience on the show, they were, production was definitely trying their best to be open-minded and to learn. But you also have to realize too, like even when they hire outside experts to kind of consult them through the process, which they did, I mean, any pilot TV show is going to be a trial and error, right? And I really think that they try their best and trying to be as, as open-minded as possible with understanding there's like, you know, different nuances uh, when it comes to different relationships. Um, But I think the big point, like you hit it on the nail was that we definitely aren't that much different than everyone else. And Netflix at the end of the day, and just like media culture, right? Like they need more views and more views equals more money. And I think that that is a, beautiful thing and just a no-brainer concept where they're like hey look we're not going to try to make you all look squeaky clean we're going to make you look relatable to bob and wendy out in tennessee usa that's sitting on their couch um because that is what's going to get us the viewers uh you know mainstream media we might only take up five to ten percent of the population but we want to bring in this 90 percent as well a lot of people also had some different opinions about um whether joanna garcia swisher whether because she was straight whether she should have went on the show or not
1: yeah actually i remember that sorry to interrupt At the very beginning they there's a point where they say like oh are you gay yeah are you gay she says no and then everybody just moves on (laughs) and that's it and i was like they definitely put that in for a reason
2: (laughs) i love i love vanessa um Yeah. Like I I get both sides. Like I'm coming in to get both sides and I get it that we should have our queer representation. I totally understand that. But I do believe that as we're like one of the, this concept at least was one of the big like frontier push into mainstream media. And in order to do that, in order to gain, this is just my personal opinion, but to gain the the respect and the likability and, you know, of around us to normalize it, I think you had to have someone like Joanna Garcia Swisher, who is straight, white, uh, uh, I think white, but I take that back, straight female, um, who, you know, has this conservative background and this um, like home goods kind of feel country town lady who, uh, stars on sweet magnolias. Um, because if she's standing there and saying, I okay, this, and I support this, then you're going to have people that follow her. Yes. You might have some people drop off, but you're going to have a lot of people being like, you know what? If Joanna Garcia is behind it, then I'm going to be behind it too. I at least should give myself 10 minutes to, to at least click on this and see what it's about. And so as much as that's needed, the more we close off our community, um, I feel like the more of a downward experience it would have been, and it probably wouldn't have been as big of a show. Now, not to say that future seasons and more, as more representation goes along, that we can keep it more knit tight, but I think for now, in order to push through the door to get those views, to get that amount where it hit like number one in six different countries in the world, I think you need those... Those key attributes to bring it in, we need our support of allies to also bring us in, you know, to help bridge that gap. And I think that was nothing, I think just those nuances there and how production handled it and kind of did certain things, like, I think that there was a reason behind that. And it's probably an unpopular opinion, but that's what I think at least.
0: Mm. No, it's nice. It's a refreshing thing to hear.
1: Yeah. I also want a Joanna Garcia Swisher in my own life. (laughs) Because I felt like she was such a nice intermediary. Like, she she felt like a very calming
2: presence a lot of the time. Mm. And I was like, oh,
1: it'd be nice to have one of them in my own
2: life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, she was was really, really amazing, really sweet on set, you know, for sure. But... um, yeah, I mean, it was, that, it was that or the Lachaise. I don't know. Yeah, I th- they are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I feel like I would have done better with Joanna than the Yeah. But they actually have like a very minimal amount of time. Um, you know, we only see them like five, six times. And yeah, then that's, that's that, true. you know, so. Mm.
1: So in the Queer Ultimatum, you were in a relationship with Mildred. And obviously that relationship had some quite toxic dynamics. Can you tell us a little bit
2: about that? Yeah, um, the relationship that Mildred and I had on the TV show uh, and off the TV show was definitely very, very toxic. But the way I see it is that so many people, whether you're straight or queer or anything else, um, we've all had that one toxic relationship that everybody can look back on and be like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Um, How did I not know better? You know, I think we've all had that. The only difference between my situation and everyone else's situation is that mine just so happened to be on TV. And it just so happened to be streamed on like the world's largest streaming platform and to be seen and busted wide open for the world. And I think that um, with that, Uh, it leaves open a lot of room for judgment. It leaves open a lot of room for, oh my God, they all need therapy. I mean, at the end of the day, we all need therapy. We can all benefit (laughs) through therapy. (laughs) Someone saying that you need therapy. um, That was probably like the most, like, I guess, negative comment that I got in the tens of, tens of thousands at one point. You know, like- oh, they need therapy, you know, like, I think every, everybody needs therapy. And um, I don't know, I just always found that interesting. Uh, you know, two years later. Yeah, yeah, we've been through therapy two years later. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, there definitely was uh, toxic stuff. Um, but I always see toxic relationships, as you know, looking back on it, I'm just like, wow, there was something in me that I didn't see and notice about myself yet. Um, that where I became vulnerable to that toxicity, there's clearly a, like, like a, a trauma cycle going on to where I haven't healed that part of me to where I've subconsciously like tried to, uh, or I, I tracked someone into like, like that into my life. And it doesn't mean that person's a bad person. Um, it's just whatever patterns we were stuck in, maybe from our childhood, or just maybe from that happy ending that we've been trying to get from our childhood that we never got. Um, that's what drew us together. And because of the amount of therapy I've been through and because of the amount of healing I've been through, I look back on that situation. And rather than having like so much anger towards it, um, I look on it and I can say, you know what, that was a really hard period of my life. But I can see why I attracted that relationship into my life because it needed to show me something that I was not willing to see for three years. Mm, Wow, that's such um, an interesting perspective. Drum roll, what's that thing? (laughs) The drum roll is um, I had this cycle, and you can even see it on the show of where it's that chase run away and I go, or she runs away and I go and chase her, or she wants something and it's never enough. And, it, um, you even see it a little bit in the reunion where I'm like crying outside. I'm like, does she need to see bank receipts? What does she need to do? Like, there's just always this push forward, push forward of like trying, trying, trying. And that goes back to my childhood of, um, the father, you know, child dynamic that I had of not seeing my dad that often. And the only way I connected to him through through basketball. And, uh, the only, that's the only way I sought his attention because he worked so much And I'm like trying, 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 but if I didn't have a good game, if I didn't, you know, put that many points on the board, um, you know, he wasn't that much of a fan about it. And I didn't play at a rec level. I didn't play at a travel level. You know, I played on a junior Olympic level where we were the top players in the country. So he was playing tough love of like, hey, you know what? Um. I want my child to have that future, that D1 scholarship, um, you know, and all that, that I never got to have. So, you know, he grew up in a very poor area and, you know, he was the oldest of nine kids, you know? So I knew that he was trying to do the best he could, but when he was so stressed out at work and the only time he got to see me was through a basketball game and trying my best and, And sometimes it wasn't good enough because then that wasn't good enough for the college scouts, you know? So, so it was that constant, like, man, I want my dad's affection. And, and when you have that mixed in with my ex's like abandonment, um, issues of being left, it's this, I can see why it was this constant cycle of back and forth, back and forth. And it wasn't just her. Like we both needed to see. We couldn't see it during the relationship. Um, but afterwards, you know, when we started learning a lot about just the the consciousness of, of relationships in general and how relationships work. I mean, I've learned more about relationships in this past year and a half of my life than I have my in, entire 34 years up until that point. And now I can see why I'm like, man, you know, so I, I don't ever want to look back on toxic relationships and for, for everyone else out there that's had a toxic relationship. Or in a toxic relationship. Um, I look at it as, man, there's something that needs to be seen within yourself, uh, and and to be liberated within yourself. And it is getting to that point of where you're you're feeling like you know, you're you're beating your head against the wall. Um, because I believe that whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, uh, will put you in those situations until you see something about yourself. And just because you're having a toxic experience doesn't mean that it's that relationship is fatal. It's just you need to be able to open your eyes and see what's around you and, and see the patterns as to why those experiences keep on happening.
1: Mm. I mean, that's such a great perspective to, to come out of a relationship yeah. like that with where you're not looking at like a, a hero and a villain And just a situation that you both kind of found yourself in that resulted in how it resulted.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, though, that like, yeah, you're right. Like, there isn't necessarily always the hero and the villain. You know, I think both her and I had great areas. But I do believe that there's a line where you do cross of like, where it's like, okay, who is actually hurting someone at this point. I mean like hurting someone or maliciously hurting someone that that's where you cross the line where you can't be like, okay, you can't blame your past on this. You can't blame your past on X, Y, Z, you know? So I do believe that there's lines to be crossed, but I, yeah, I don't think in general, like toxic relationships, um, there's always like, it's not, it's not as easily drawn, you know, of this is a villain and you know, this is someone that is like, Oh, feel bad for me. For sure.
1: For sure. I mean, we were um, talking about it before the interview about how in the in, in the reunion in the reunion at the end of the series, like it, you really come to blows um, emotionally, and you talk about how there was violent outbursts um, from Mildred, um, and we were saying how mm-hmm. it it was so hard to watch that it was it it was shocking that it was aired,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: but we wondered how. We wondered how that dynamic would have played out had the situation been the other way around, given that you were sort of the masculine presenting person in that relationship. Um, we just wondered if you wanted to talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. I think society and viewers of reality TV um, always have this perception and this connotation, maybe even the stereotype that a more feminine presenting person, uh, whether it's in queer relationships, which you don't get to see that often on TV. Um, but subconsciously, I think when you divide it into masculine and feminine energies, um, that the woman is always, always the, um, the victim in the sense of where we should always feel sorry, uh, for her, no matter how she comes off. Um, and I think we were bred to feel like that. Like, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I just feel like that is a, a, a nuance. Like if someone is speaking up about it on television, if you have a woman speaking up about it on television and there's a man right there and you talk, you bring up domestic violence automatically, we're automatically believing the woman, not even asking any questions at all. We're going to believe the woman. We're going to believe everything she says. And I'm not to say that. I don't know how many cases where that is true. And a lot of it is true. Um, but I always found it interesting and, and we've, we saw some of this actually on, um, love is blind season three. I believe there was a, the reunion episode with like Zeneb and Cole. And there was this kind of like similar dynamic of, uh, gaslighting. Um, of like where Zeneb like kind of like pounced on, um, Cole and like, didn't let him speak. And then like, he couldn't remember anything. And at the end of the day, like, again, this is subjective. We don't know really what happened, but here's the thing is that you can really, really tell in the body language and reactions of people, despite any of the words that goes on, you know, because at the end of the day. Everything that, you know, my ex said on the reunion and I didn't really say anything, but, you know, at the end of the day, only her and I know what is true, right? Only her and I know what's true um, and what's not true and what's half true. Um, And to be able to use all of that and to go onto a huge platform. And to be able to maliciously expose that, uh, expose truths that no one knows at the end of the day and give zero chance for the other person to explain their side. I look at it as a big picture like that. And that's the behavior and the actions I see of that person, as opposed to the little facts You know, and I think a very, very hard dynamic that I was trying to grapple with when the show first came out, um, people I I saw very quickly on reality TV and its viewers, how quick people are to believe something just because it was said. So like even instances like, oh, well, how does it feel not having a job? I got 10,000, like 10,000 comments of that. Oh. How does it feel not having a job, Tiff? And I'm just thinking like, I had a job. Like, you know what I'm saying? So like, it's just, you know, like, do you want to see my proof? And here again, even that was a flashback of to Tiff. Why are you trying so hard? Why are you trying so hard? Because I'm like, what do you mean? I have a job. So just because someone said it, um, it's so quick that people are to believe it and to tie that back into. The masculine feminine roles is when it comes to the topic of domestic violence um, and just the reunion as a whole, when you have someone who is more feminine presenting and also a mother, um, when someone comes on there to use stories that no one knows is true at the end of the day for their advantage and to shut someone up and to pull the mom card and the more feminine presenting card to their advantage. Um, I saw it as like completely being gaslit and, and unfair. And I do believe that if it was the other way around, um, where I was the one that got arrested and where I was the one that, uh, you know, did all these things. And, you know, I, I don't think I would have gotten the, um, amount of sympathy um, or the amount of belief. I think that you would have had a lot more people be less gullible and more suspicious, for sure. Mm.
0: How did you deal with that? Like, coming off the show, seeing it yourself, and, and then other people's comments. People reacting to it. How was that for you?
2: Yeah. Um, well, the, the show was filmed, or the reunion was filmed back in almost a year ago. So the end of January of 2023. And so there was like a four to five month period where before it actually aired. And when I'm telling you, my body was in like shock uh when that happened, right? Because we don't know. I mean, that, that whole rampage that happened on TV, that was 20, 25 minutes long, not including the time that I was out there outside with Sam. That whole thing was probably about an hour long, but you see like what, like five, six, seven minutes of it. Um, so I didn't know what was actually going to be aired on TV. And there are some things that I was accused of, um, that I wouldn't even wish on my worst enemy. I mean, immensely, immensely horrible things. Um, and that I was completely mind swiped about, um, in a room full of like a hundred people. And I was convinced that a lot of that was actually going to be on the TV show. But I think those accusations were so, so deep and so like we have zero proof of any of this ever happening um, that Netflix was like, there is this is where we draw the line. This is where it's too much. So a lot of people like actually say like, oh, Netflix just wants um, entertainment. Um, and they, you know, yeah, to an extent. Um, but let me, I mean... The, the accusations that were put on there, actually, that never made it on TV, um, there was a line that Netflix glossed. Yes. And they were like, this is some things that, like, this is, this is not okay. Um, so I think they stuck to the facts, right? Which was the police report, which was shown to them before the show and they see these things so they're just like okay this is what we can put on this is what we're not going to put on uh we'll let the more drama like things like the sex board games and the whatever whatever we'll let that slide but these higher accusations like there's zero proof for that and at that point that was just a pure like smear campaign to cover up the fact of hey you know i got arrested and i you know threw something at you and i did this and i did that so um but I remember as everything was going on, like I was legit like blacking out because it's not just being like, imagine if you're at a a dinner with like 20 of your family members or something on Thanksgiving and then someone comes at you like that, the amount of like embarrassment that you see, like with everyone around the table. Um, Now imagine that, but it's a room full of like a hundred people. And then as it's going on. And you, you can't even, so you, you can't even start to defend yourself on one thing because then there's six more accusations coming in and it, you're just like, what, what's going on? Because your brain can only process so much. Um, now imagine that. And then knowing that, holy shit, like it's only like X amount of months before this thing is going to be seen by tens of millions of people. And I just completely like blanked out. You know, like, so that was very, very shocking. And, um, for the next like three days, you know, production was calling me like, you know, cause there were again, like some things that was said and I was just like, oh my God, like my entire life is just going to be like out the door, you know? Um, but production did tell me they're like, look, please don't worry. Like it's going to be okay. So as much as, uh, and I, and I trust them, you know, I actually did trust production because I, uh, the same woman that produced the the reunion was the producer of the show. And, you know, I really got to know her and things of that nature. And, um, when I was like crying, hyperventilating and I, like they had therapists on site and everything, um, she like held my hand and she looked at me and she was just like, trust me, like when I tell you this, everything's going to be okay. So a lot of people think that, um, Netflix did it in a way to expose me. And why would you expose Tiff like that? Why would you this? No, I, I think they did exactly what they did to show and emulate what it actually looks like in reality of a perpetrator or someone who can take advantage of someone like that and leave them feeling that way. Because more people feel seen and that feels more real than to cover it up again, and put a little bandaid on it and make it look okay. Um, and I think that, you know, when it comes to the reunion, a lot of, um, people are very like, yeah, like that was so messed up. I think it was needed. I, I think a lot of these negative things that a lot of people, okay. So I think the theme of what I'm trying to say is that a lot of these negative things that people talk about the show with, um, that's the cover up things that don't exist. And that's the cover up things that actually exist when I think those conversations need to be made and, and need to be more aware in the mainstream spotlight. And so you can always take those situations as something that you can openly talk about, because if they would have covered that up, just think about it. If if none of this domestic violence talk was ever brought up and everything just slide, slid over, um there would have been, I'm sure thousands of people who would still be in a very, very bad domestic violence relationship right now. I can't tell you the amount of messages I got from all walks of life and all orientations that have said, you've given me the courage to leave my relationship, you know? And, um, and that to me spoke 10 times, like 20 times more volume than if we were just to put a band aid on it and never talk about it, so you have to take shitty things and and try to turn them into something positive. Yeah, that
0: resilience, yeah. incredible, really admirable. Um, so me and you, Tiff, have something in common. We're both non-binary, they/thems. We love that. Um, and so we're going to chat a bit about that and what it's like experiencing the world as a non-binary person. Um, there is a lot of scrutiny in today's world for like gender non-conforming people how do you deal with that in your day-to-day life
2: i think there definitely is a lot of scrutiny in today's society when it comes to non-binary people i think the world is so divided and so polarized uh to only think black and white and that's even with their acceptance of non-binary people that's black and white it's either i do or i don't And so when we live in a binary world where everything is white and black, yes, no light, dark, zero and ones, um, on or off, (laughs) uh, it shuts out a lot of compassion, a lot of creativity, a lot of freedom. And When we have limited freedom, we have a limited version of ourselves. And I don't think everyone fits in a white or a black box or a yes or a no or a, you know, a zero and a one or an on or off or a doctor or a lawyer or a mother or... You know, like uh, there are so many boxes that society or our direct family wants to put us in and wants us to be. And I think we can learn to have more compassion with those people and with people all around us, uh, no matter what walks of life, if we need if we stop thinking in boxes, Um, because I feel like all of us at one point can feel relatable to that to where they can be like hey you know what my mom and my parents raised me um to be a doctor because there's just doctors all in my family and you know what like I really want to be an artist and you feel completely ostracized and rejected because your parents are like no this is what I want you to be this is in your bloodline this is who you are and so we all at some point say hey is this Is this me? Does it resonate with me? And there has to be a time and a place where maybe it's little moments where we decide, do I want to be in this box or do I just want to be me? And do I just want to be free? And, um, that's how I personally live my life on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think that we can all have space as non-binary people to, have full conviction of who we are and say, I don't belong in these boxes, but to also have space and kindness to understand that the people that are attacking them or scrutinizing them or mocking them, if we can look at them from a light of compassion and be like, maybe you're just afraid of the world to be free and not fit in one of these boxes. Maybe freedom scares you because maybe you're not free yourself or you wish to be free. And, you know, and it's not just wish to be free. Like, I don't think that someone is wishing to be non-binary. No, like you are who you are. What I'm talking about that is the other millions of different assets in their life where they're not free themselves, where they want to leave their job and they can't get out of it, but they just want to be free where they want to be able to like, be like, Hey, I want to take my, you know, kid on vacation. I just don't have the resources. I need. I want to be free. And so we kind of get caught in this rigid, rigid, rigid binary lifestyle that has nothing to do with gender identity. And when we experience that all around us, we are so quick to hop on someone of, of, of a binary concept when it seems a little bit more clear, like, Oh, male, female. And that's so easy to, to, to jump on and to point out and to scrutinize someone when something's more obvious. Um, kind of like, you know, people who have addictions uh, this is a weird kind of like analogy, but people who have addictions, like someone who is a gambler and someone who deals with massive amounts of obesity People can't really see the the gambler. They can't see that this person automatically has a problem. But they can see so quickly that you know someone who struggles with their their weight and their obesity so be like, okay, yeah. And they're so quick to, to 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 bully them or scrutinize them because it's so obvious. So I feel like in the non-binary world, um, non-binary people are easily more like uh, targets for sure, but the way that i live to answer your question the way that i personally live my life um i have to look at every th- you know negative thing when it comes my way in the eyes of compassion and when i see it in a sense of like maybe you just want to be free too and that's okay um i just realize that i know who i am at the end of the day and that i don't need anyone's validation um to tell my truth. And that doesn't mean necessarily that I, like, do I believe that we need non-binary rights? And yes, of course, of course. But in meantime, while the world and the activists are doing their job and, and, you know, pushing that momentum forward, the thing, the one thing that I have control of, full control of, is how I see the world within myself. And if I see in myself that, hey, you know what, this is who I am, And you can agree with it or not. I don't give a shit. Um, That is my, what did I call it? The self-love armor that's wrapped around me. Um, You know, like a loving armor that's wrapped around me uh, with, you know, embodying in compassion, but protecting myself at the same exact time where I know who I am. I don't need anyone else's like outside validation. Um, I don't need you to, you know, say that I don't agree with your pronouns and I don't even need you to call me by my pronouns. Um, that would be nice. But if I don't see that, I'm not going to cause World War three. Um, because I'm going to be beating a dead horse at that point. And I'm going to be asking you to pronounce pronouns, pronouns, because I can't control what this other person does at the end of the day. Like I can't, and I don't want to waste my energy trying to change a stranger's mind when I could be using that energy of like radically accepting myself.
0: I couldn't agree more. I really hear that, and that's how I see the world. You've really articulated that so well of my own personal experience, and I know that will resonate with a lot of our audience, mm-hmm. won't it? Totally.
2: Well, I was going to say what, uh, you know, with, have you ever gotten any type of negative I constantly back- get
0: misgendered every single day. Um, how do you handle that? It's hard. Like it's, it feels like a bit of a punch in the in the heart bit. But then I kind of remember, they don't know. I, you know, I have a, I sort of live in a, like my body, how I look, isn't very gender non-conforming. People have mistook me for straight before. They've mistook me for just a straight cis person, and it's like I'm having to come out every day, not only as like bisexual and non-binary, um. But sometimes I'm like, that's my own thing. Like if if people actually wanna get to know me, I will open that door up and say, hey look, like you and me, Hess, we're like this, aren't we? You, you call me they, them, you res- you respect me. I'm gonna let, y- I'm gonna open the armor up to you so that then you can love me back. But mm-hmm. why would I, I agree like with you, like why would I try and, I don't know what phrase you use, something about a dead beat horse or something? Beating a dead, <laughs> Be- horse. Beating a dead oh, yeah, horse. it's an American <laughs> That's all right, it's good beating a dead horse like it's so true like yes I'm sure that a lot of people that do misgender me would want to know more and stuff but you know I, th- I ain't got time to be teaching everyone I'm happy to talk about it you know we've yeah. got a platform to do so um but it's like it, I'm gonna give it to them I'm not gonna put myself out mm-hmm. to
1: waste my energy like you say you just exactly what you just said I also think it was really nice how you described the concept of non-binary like outside the concept of gender because you're right like it's so easy to jump on gender um as uh, obviously it's the thing of the moment that a lot of people are jumping on but non-binary like live it's more it seems to me that your perspective is like very philosophical mm. in that how you view life and your and your interaction with life and other people and your relationships is about rejecting the binary which yeah. I think is a lot more of a relatable thing for us us all to understand because you know these words like non binary and pronouns and is a new it's a newer thing for people to deal with it's come in the past five years or so has become you know uh, a a debated topic in our society yeah but it's not really about that or those words or those pronouns, it's more... It goes beyond yeah, that. Yeah, like, I, it seems to me that that's what you're trying to say, that it's
2: uh, it's about an approach to life. Um, and Which we're all not perfect with. Like, we we struggle. There are some concepts in my life, and I'm sure if you can reflect some concepts in your life, where you have some sort of trauma or hatred or something within yourself that you can't seem to break free from that and therefore out of fear and scarcity you label something as this or that and and you know i i'm sure we can think of many different things who are like you, no 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 all men are like this or that or all bisexual women are like this or that or all uh people all homeless people act like this or that you know like we're just so quick to be like boom boom boom, boom, boom you know um all people who I don't know, get welfare checks or like this or that. I mean, it's just like so quick because there's something in you that you hate. I hate to say it, but hate about yourself. And we all have that. We all have that. Right. So I think that's just the goal here, goal here, you know, and, um, it's easier to do it when you do have freedom and full conviction of who you are. So I can be a master and talk about you know this whole non-binary thing and just being like hey just be less rigid but um you know of course there's other areas of my life where i'm like oh i can't you know i wish to apply the same energy to it but i'm not there yet you know so i think we just all need to learn from each other
1: yeah and it's the intention that is kind of important i think
2: i was going to ask um you know have you or do you know people in your life that know you're non-binary and they still consist they're still consistent on not using your pronouns at all? Yeah. Like all the time? Uh,
0: Not all the time, but I definitely have people in my life that dismiss me. I don't think it is a a thing, Um, which is really hard to deal with. Mm. I can't lie. Um, It's something I'm still dealing with. Um, But what I try to do, you know, fight or flight, a lot of the time I run away from it. (laughs) I do (laughs) run away from it. Um, because I just yeah. think, you know, I've created like this little world for myself that's so lovely, um, with queer space. Like I'd rather spend my time really with the people that love me rather than the people that want to just not see me. You yeah. Know? yeah.
2: How about, how about you? What about you? Yeah. So I feel like, or there's just one that I can kind of be like, <laughs> um, it's like a, an event company that I work closely with. It's a, it's a girl, all girls event company. And I'm actually friends with the two owners. And so they, you know, throw like lesbian parties or queer party, whatever. Um, and the owners live in the same city as me and long story short, we actually got like really relatively close, but they're in their like upper forties, I think. Um, and they know I'm non-binary. I've mentioned it many times before. Um, and they know I go by they, them and like it's, it was never, they never once tried to say they at all. Um, and, and they refer to me as she, like, I mean, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, like she, 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 she. And then it's interesting because when I bring up, I won't bring it up in that moment, but if I mention something like, Oh, as a non-binary person, this might something, something, um, I might see that as like, I'm, I'm just so old. I'm just so old. Like I forget about all that stuff. I'm so old, but they like just toss it off. Like I'm old. And then they're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's right. I keep on forgetting you're non-binary, but you know, I'm just so old. I I don't, I don't get all this. And I think that's kind of what irritates me a little bit. I'm just like, Oh, blah, 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 blah. I'm so old. So, and then they just shove it. Like it doesn't even matter. Um, right in front of my face. And then I'm just like, okay and then i'm just kind of like so the the that is the one group of people that i'm just kind of like "Mm," because we've been close for about like a year now you know what i'm saying i'm like did you a fucking year (laughs) like you know what i'm saying so but again i'm not letting them i'm not looking at that situation and being like questioning my reality and being like who am i like no, i know who i am you know yeah exactly but that's just so fucking annoying like i don't know
0: i completely agree like i get older people Forgetting, they go. Oh, I forgot, you know. But it's then the people that, like, yeah, as an excuse. It's an excuse. Yeah,
1: it does just take people more time.
0: But even then, there are some people. But that you don't want to do push do anymore. Think I think that are, they're yeah. they're
1: ignorant. Sometimes
0: like, yeah. they don't want to understand. They that's like a dismissal of. They're they're done. They're not. Yeah. They're not going to open that conversation up, which is really difficult. I've had the same sort of thing happen.
1: And how how would you deal with that then? Just to finish off, like how would you, you know, you spoke about compassion and and um how how do you deal with that do you
2: yeah Mm, i think it really depends on the situation of how i deal with people misgendering me first of all i look at the situation that i just walk into a store i mean i get everything you know as a masculine-ish presenting person i get she i get they i get him all the time all the time um i do find it kind of interesting when people are like Sir, Like, you know, if I'm putting my head down and they're like, sir, I'll take you on counter four. And, um, and then I look up and then, um, and then I have a full blown ass conversation with them and I'm talking like this to them and I'm like, how's your day? And then they don't like think like, oh wow, I just called them, sir. You know, like, you know, like it just, you know, after that. So you have a lot of people that are like, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. But um, I think also we're so conditioned, again, black, white thinking of this, this person or that person or this kind of person or that kind of person. And um, I look at it in a sense of, well, first of all, are they a stranger? I mean, if they are, how can, how can I personally get mad? Like they can't read my mind I think the safe thing to do for everybody is just this is what I try to do myself is just call everyone for the most part by them until I get further notice <laughs> you know I think that's a safe thing to do um but we don't live in that society yet and that's okay um so if that's by a stranger that's fine but then you know I, I but when you get people like go out of your way and be like it's not real and you know it's Adam and Eve and like you know just these things that keep on going on and on again which by the way like you know, even science is starting to, you know, there are the research that is done yet has still yet to really go in either direction. Or it's, if anything, it leans more towards the non-binary people do exist, especially with the experience in the brain and everything. Um, but regardless, in the meantime, um, you know, I look at it from that individual. I'm like, you didn't grow up in a very, blue states or i guess that around in america it's like a very liberal open-minded area highly populated um and then i live in california now which is like you know everything you can imagine as far as being open-minded um so you know i'm like but you probably don't grow up in the same lifestyle or experience that i had you know and i think we're conditioned to think and to be hardwired in what the the environment around us was Um, so I didn't live my, I didn't let you, although I'm disagreeing with you right now, I didn't live my entire life through your eyes. Like I didn't see the things I wasn't brought up in a certain way. Um, so I just tried to leave space for that. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just, that's where you have to put your loving armor on and just be like, look, I am who I am. I really don't think that you're impact on your opinion is really going to change anything. Like it's not, it's really not. Um, so I think the more that we as a unit, as a community, um, starts to have more self-confidence and self-worth within ourselves and really start to work on that. I think that is more of an actionable notice that people will notice in us. And that would gain more of our respect and always, but sometimes I feel like if it's like, Hey, you know what? Kind of like, you know, bullies in the kid at school, you know, the kid at school that's more vulnerable and this is not always true. This is not always true. But you know, when you walk around, when you're a kid that walks around with a lot of confidence, um, you become less susceptible to people picking on you, you know? And sometimes when, you know, like people just kind of like back off. the most part. And I think that, you know, if we keep on pointing the finger at ourselves and victimizing saying, everyone hates me, everyone hates me. Everyone's out to get me. No one, respects my pronouns. I just think that like, it's kind of like the way that the laws of the universe work, in my opinion, is just going to kind of give you more reasons and more experiences to show that in your life. Oh, you think that everyone picks on you? You think that everyone's out to get you and okay, we're going to, we're going to pop this person into your picture. We're going to pop this person into your experience. When you're at the counter at Starbucks, you're going to pop this person into your experience and we're just going to give you more and more reasons to make that that belief of yours true. And um, when you start, I believe that when you start to believe that you are worthy uh, and free to be who you are and you know who you are and you love yourself, regardless of whatever anyone thinks, I think the world will give you more experiences to validate that. That's just my personal way of thinking. That is
1: lovely. That's lovely. And I think that's a lovely... Place to, to round, round up. It. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tiff. Yeah, for that was wonderful. Here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It right. was so what nice. What are you guys doing for the rest of the? What are you all doing for the rest of the day? I'm going to dinner. <laughs> yeah, going to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> what you going to dinner? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. It's
1: very dark oh, yeah. and cold here at the moment, so yeah. not I'm just going to relax. It's
2: uh Southern California. is like going to this like crazy Stones. monsoon weather right now. Yeah, oh, really. If you look at, like, the floods, if you look up, like, Southern California floods right now, uh, L.A., so I'm, like, two hours south of L.A. Um, in San Diego. L.A. is experiencing, like, the biggest floods in, like, the last 30 years or something yeah, right now I or 20 that. years it or something. Insane. Everything's underwater. It's it's insane. Oh, my so, God. So, luckily, I'm on the fifth floor.
1: Please <laughs> oh <my laughs> take care of but yourself. But everything's, like,
2: underneath yeah. right now.
1: And if you have a boat, that's also <laughs> okay.
2: yeah. That you know, We're like a surf town here, so okay. like there was a a, there was board, one big flood that happened last week too, like a huge ass flood, and um, everyone was like on their surfboards or like their their <laughs> kayak little things Gosh. and just <laughs> oh my god, just another day in Surf Town.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, look after yourself, Tiff. Mm-hmm. It's been lovely to actually talk to you and get to know you a little bit better outside of the show. Mm-hmm. Um. We're really grateful for for you coming on today. Yeah. And we wish you all I'm the so best. Happy.
2: You as well. Take care.